United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. I am confident that Assad's days are numbered. We have to show the Syrian government that there are consequences. The Assad regime is crumbling from within and that the Syrian people believe that Assad's days are numbered. How long will Assad last? And our standard answer is his days are numbered. We just don't know the number. President Obama is no longer president. Hillary Clinton no longer secretary of the state. Jay Carney is no longer the White House press secretary. James Clapper no longer the director of national intelligence. But Bashar al-Assad is still in charge in Syria. And now things are even more complicated than they were in 2011, which was nine years ago, this week marking the anniversary of the conflict which began as part of the Arab Spring. And Russia and Turkey are intimately involved. There's a refugee issue. There's obviously the military issue and so many other things that we need to be concerned about. So to make sense of it all, Mona Yakubian is with us, senior policy scholar for the U.S. Institute of Peace, tweeting at M. Yakubian. Mona, welcome back. Thank you for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, Mona, uh, uh, it seems that Assad's days are still numbered, but the question is how, how big that number is. And the latest, obviously, um, is it seemingly is a much more escalated tension between Russia and Turkey over portions of Syria. Give us your sense of where things are on the ground right now. Well, I think what we're seeing is most recently a very brutal offensive undertaken by the Assad regime, but backed by Russia uh, in the air. And this really marks uh, the last rebel stronghold in western Syria that Assad is attempting to retake. He has vowed to retake every square uh, mile of his country back. Uh, And what this has done, though, is prompted massive displacement, um, the largest displacement crisis since the conflict began now, as you know, nine years ago. And that has then brought Turkey involved, because Turkey borders Syria uh, at this government of Idlib, and Turkey hosts the largest number of Syrian refugees. They cannot afford to admit any more refugees. So you now have a situation of what had been a fairly brutal offensive by the regime, uh, the Assad regime, uh, that then ended up raising tensions fairly significantly between Russia and Turkey. Can you help us understand better the support of Russia? I mean, you have to wonder what keeps Assad in power when we say, well, Russia supports. How do they support? And what does that support mean in terms of being able to keep Bashar al-Assad in power? Well, I think Russian support has been essential for Assad to stay in power. There were fear. There were there were there was the notion uh, early in the conflict that Assad's days were numbered. But as you have noted, here we are nine years later, he's still in power. And that's due in large part to Russia's support. The Russians uh, became involved in Syria in 2015, and they really turned the tide of the war in favor of Assad. They brought in fairly massive military uh, power, uh, air power, and that's really been critical in terms of uh, Assad not only holding on to power, but actually regaining large portions of territory. And why is it in Russia's interest to help Syria? Well, uh, the Russians have been very clear that they are opposed to the notion of any sort of regime change. Uh, they, they were opposed to uh, what happened in Libya, uh, the sort of the, the no-fly zone that was established uh, by the U.N. Security Council, which eventually was done to protect civilians. 
but eventually led to Gaddafi falling from power. And when that, ha- when that happened, the Russians said, never again, we're not going to stand by and watch regimes fall. Of course, they're concerned about their own regime and their, their own hold on power. And so this has made Russia a staunch supporter of uh, Bashar al-Assad. Once again, Moni Kubin with us, senior policy scholar at the U.S. Institute of Peace. So now we have Russia and Turkey in some ways at odds, although it has seemingly calmed down a bit. But still, the complication there is that Turkey is a member of the NATO alliance. And as a member of the alliance, one would think the U.S. would be obligated in some way to support Turkey if it got into a physical, a military conflict with Russia. I'm not sure what the qualifications are for that. But talk about that aspect of this this entire complex situation that is the relationship between turkey and russia right now right so turkey and russia had figured out a way uh to to negotiate uh, what was called the de-escalation zone in idlib to ensure against any fighting taking place there uh that de-escalation agreement was violated uh starting really last spring but in much more rigorously in december and, and up until now and as I said, Turkey has its interests are in ensuring against any more Syrian refugees coming into into Turkey. So uh, the situation militarily got quite heated. Uh, it resulted, though, in Russia and Turkey agreeing to a ceasefire last week. But I think uh, this is likely to be a temporary measure. Um, there's really no, this, this ceasefire does not appear to have a long-term solution. It's not clear at all what's going to happen to the nearly one million people who have been displaced inside Idlib. They have nowhere to go. Um, and so I think this is a situation that, that bears close watching. We, we, could, we could easily see uh, the ceasefire violated. There's a history of ceasefires being violated in Syria. And we may see, once again, a rise in tensions between Russia and Turkey. Mona, the United States, under President Obama, there was the infamous red line incident. He thought that there would be certain conditions under which that would be crossing a, a line for him that was one that he couldn't accept, which included um, Assad firing on his own people. But that went by the wayside because Congress didn't move and the president said, I'm going to let it, leave it up to them to come up with an authorization for the use of military force. President Trump had sent some missiles flying into uh, into Syria at one point, but seemingly has backed off. Is there an appropriate action for the U.S. to take as a wait and see? Is that pretty much where we are right now? Well, unfortunately, I think the U.S. right now has very limited leverage in, in Syria. As you know, uh, if anything, we have been progressively drawing down our presence in eastern Syria. Um, there's really no appetite for any sort of U.S. military intervention in Syria. Uh, we have provided additional humanitarian assistance. The U.S. is one of the largest donors. We've provided about $10 billion in humanitarian assistance since the beginning of the war. Uh, but unfortunately, Tim, I don't think there's much more the U.S. can do um, other than uh, perhaps some diplomatic support. They're putting sanctions on the Assad regime. Uh, but these are all sort of long-term measures. I don't, I don't see much in terms of the short term uh, that the U.S. can do to help Uh, alleviate uh, the tensions and the fighting that has been taking place in Idlib. Last question, and this has to do, I mean, obviously we talk about the nation states that are taking part in this this whole thing, which is Syria, Russia, Turkey, the United States, but the people. I mean, the refugee problem is, is clearly staggering. In addition to that, one wonders, who is it that Assad is ruling over now? I mean, are these people just cowed by him? Are they loyal to him? Are they, they've got to be hoping for better days. 
Well, I think you've, you've really put your finger on probably one of the most tragic uh, aspects of the Syrian conflict, which is exactly that, Syrian civilians who have suffered enormously. I mean, Syria's war has really been a humanitarian tragedy. Children in particular have suffered disproportionately. And the fact of the matter is that uh, Syrians are terrified who live under Assad's rule. And uh, you, you, it's very unlikely that we will see, for example, refugees return to Syria as long as Assad is in control. Um, his, his brutality, his uh, lack of ob- observation of any sort of, of human rights really suggests that, unfortunately, at least for the, the short to medium term, I think we're going to see uh, people, Syrians, uh, li- living under, again, these sort of horrific conditions, no real relief in sight. On that sober note, we will wrap it up. Mona Yakubian, thank you as always. Thank you so much for having me. That is Mona Yakubian, senior policy scholar for the United States Institute of Peace. Days are numbered for Bashar al-Assad, but the number keeps growing. It keeps increasing. And, of course, we have the complication with Russia and Syria and the role of the U.S. on what is taking place in that country. Mona, by the way, is tweeting at M Yakubian, M-Y-A-C-O-U-B-I-A-N. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.